Religious wars seem out of place in a modern society. As moderns, we view events like the Crusades or the religious wars of the Protestant Reformations as both strange and sad. Religion is sometimes seen as a useless relic of a bygone era. Given the modern age we live in, we no longer need religion to help explain reality, direct our lives, or give us purpose. Or so the argument goes. The fact that religion has so often been connected to war only strengthens the argument. And yet, with advances in science and technology, humanity has invented more ways of killing itself, even while moving further away from religion. War is an ancient practice, and so it shouldn't surprise us that we find accounts of warfare in the Bible. But the Bible has often been co-opted to prop up the military aspirations of political leaders. While we don't see it as often today, theology still plays a role in the decision to go to war, whether at a large scale or at the individual level. The ancient text is still being used in modern discussions of war. At the same time, military technology continues to advance, making modern warfare more efficient and devastating at the same time. How do we make sense of this paradox? In this episode, we ask, how has the Bible been used to justify the atrocities of war? How has modern technology removed the human element from war? All that and more on this edition of the podcast. We're a forum for discussion on the issues that are ruminating in the minds of churchgoers, but that are often not raised from the pulpit. Too long has the church shied away from grappling with tough questions and nuanced issues. We're your hosts. I'm Riker Zalameta. I'm Lucas Manning. Welcome to Questions from the Pew, where faith and culture meet. bad. It's a rainy day here in old Texas. I actually love rainy days. Something I really miss about the Midwest is because you'd have like... Actual seasons? <laughs> yeah. I feel like we have... Yeah, that's fair. I'm sure Texas I guess you have seasons. have seasons. Yeah, we have seasons a little bit. But it's just like 95% sun, which I think most people are pumped about, you know, and I like. Yeah. It's fine. But I just miss the rainy two or three days it's like ah the whole mm. world it just gets cleansed and washed you know what i'm saying it's nice. that's fair that's whereas fair. here the rain it rains for like you know an hour and then it's done yeah it's fine because we need rain to wash away the violence of war and human evil. oh wow what a good segue <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah. speaking of rain <laughs> war <laughs> Speaking of weather patterns, <laughs> violence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, we've been talking about war. Yeah. This is what, the third? Yeah, third episode. Yeah, third episode. Series on war. Series. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's never it easy be to have these discussions. No, agreed. I guess the last two um, episodes, we've kind of been talking more specifically about the Bible and what's going on in biblical yeah. war narratives and violence in the Bible and that kind of thing. Uh, so it might be helpful to go back and listen to those if you haven't uh, before mm-hmm. we kind of get into, I guess, more more uh, relatable or more modern, yeah. more applicable yeah. 
questions here in the next yeah, couple of Definitely podcasts. moving beyond the, yeah, what does the Bible say about it? And yeah. moving on to, well, how has it been, I, for, you know, for this episode, how has it been used yes. in the context of, of warfare? Yeah. Sure. All right. right. Should we jump into that first question? Let's do it. Question one, how has the Bible been used to justify the atrocities of war? Yeah, I mean... Show me chapter and verse. (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot... I mean, mean, this is the crux of this whole issue is the fact that it has been used to justify the atrocities of war. I mean, yeah, there are lots of examples, honestly. Um, Kind of ever since Christianity came into power... You know, and what is it, 313 when Constantine? Old Constantine. Old old Constantine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get this narrative right, but I think Constantine had a vision of the cross <laughs> at some point when he was going off to fight a battle or something. Is that right? And then they yeah. put them on the shields, and then, you know, all of a sudden, the Roman Empire. Constantine was the emperor of Rome at the time. And so then Christianity became the... Uh, State religion of Rome, yeah. which well, what, a, was, what a turnaround it, in three hundred years, yeah. honestly. Well, it was first like it became legal. Ah, sure, I think is what it was. So two stages. So it became legal, and then after that, yeah, yeah. When did it become legal? Do we know, or was it right at three thirteen? It became legal. Let me see here. So the Edict of Milan was uh, when it um, it, resa- it established religious toleration for Christianity. Okay. When was that? That was 313. Oh, okay. Looks like, I think. Uh, according to just a quick PBS, look, it said 10 years after the Edict of Milan, it became there the official go. religion of the Roman Empire. What so edict was that? Uh, doesn't say right here. Let me see. Uh, we love our edicts here at Christians. <laughs> Uh, it does okay. not say on this okay. PBS. I can't remember off the top of my head either. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, regardless. So it came in two stages. So it became tolerated. And then, so which was a good thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's good. I'd say generally that was good. Sure. Um, but then when it became the official state religion, right. that's when I think it took a. Which a one might argue. Not so great. Wouldn't it be good if Christianity was the state religion? But the problem uh, is just. You'd all, think. You'd think. You, you would think. And I guess if everyone lived actually up to the, you know, mm, Christian that's, ideal, that's God's ideal it, vision right? for humanity, <laughs> you know, uh. then yes, it, it would be good. But the fact is, when power is involved, people just love to just get love in to there use it and for their people. own ends. Yeah, literally. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's before that. You know, Christianity was obviously not accepted, at least in the Roman Empire. Yeah. I'm sure it had expanded to different parts of the world that we probably yeah. at least I don't know off the top of my head what was happening there but obviously it wasn't being used as a justification for war when it was mm-hmm. a persecuted religion I guess that's yeah so I guess for me there are like two or three maybe parts for this question right so that's sure. like the question of the religion of Christianity mm-hmm. being used to justify war sure 
is different from the use of the Bible. Bible. Sure. Again, chapter and verse to justify war, and even that is different from the theology sure. that props up war, right? Sure. Whether that's at the individual level or the the theology that is yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is kind of presented as a means from you know the government as a means yeah. for or a justification for a move to war. That's right. I, I don't know. Those are at least. I don't want to silo them because I think they're they're very much connected. Yeah, um, for sure. But I think there are distinctions to be made from those three. I don't know if you wanted to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they are obviously are connected because if your religion is Christianity or is not Christianity, obviously you're not going to look to the Bible as a justification. But yeah, I mean, I think it just it does start with when Christianity is in power. And then, you know, obviously people in power, as is can be seen throughout human history, they want to kind of do their own thing. And so the way to get, like, the masses on board, you know what I mean, or, or basically sell war to people. Because, I mean, generally the, the people on the ground don't want to be fighting a war, you know what I mean? So mm. you have to sell it somehow. So, like, back mm. in the ancient Near East, obviously, it's like, well, our leader is the literal incarnate god that we you know what i mean that we worship mm-hmm. or whatever um and he wants us to do this and he's the god so let's we got to do it you know what i mean which i think as we get closer to the modern age became less and less of a justification uh but with christianity moving into power um you know in the roman empire and then later obviously in europe in a lot of different ways you know, that became then the justification that powerful people would use to sell war to, you know, the average person who was going to fight the war. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, well, I'm interested, like, well, I feel like they, especially like using the Bible and then the theology, those two points that you had, can you, because I feel like obviously the theology will potentially come from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um and most of the time, I think, like in the Crusades or colonization, like it's the conquest narrative specifically, where it's like, you know, we're the chosen people of God and these people are the Canaanites, you know, and especially like colonization or even American, like expansionism is like, we're the, we're the God's chosen people in the promised land, even, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like mm-hmm. in America, the new world, and then like, you know, the indigenous people as Canaanites or whatever very specific way of applying that so yeah i'm just wondering yeah or it seems like the bible and the theology are connected you know what i mean especially close yeah i'm so i'm like with the theology side of things i think of specifically the crusades Mm. right so this theology of taking back the the holy land um and obviously there is there are power structures there where the church was very much connected to the state all those different you know nuances sure um but i mean the the idea of you know the holy land being overrun by you know by muslims sure was the kind of the rallying call that pope pius ii used to you know to initiate you know the the crusades the first of many yeah yeah for sure so I don't know if there was like for for that I I don't know if so for that it's like more of certainly a, a theology yeah, side of things as opposed sure. to well 
you know, we're going to apply this passage of Scripture sure. to our present situation. Sure. Well, I wonder, too, if still, like, the conquest narratives, I mean, then it was quite mm. literally the Holy Land. You know what I mean? Right. And then there's what they probably believed as, you know, the worst of the worst type of people or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, and I know, like, with the Crusades in Europe at that time, there's just, like, a lot of war and infighting between Europeans. So then the Pope was like, let's direct all this violence and anger towards somebody else. Which mm. So I don't... Yeah, I guess when it comes to, like, the Bible being justified for war, I think in the previous podcast we've established at least a baseline of, you know, kind of the Bible's perspective on war, if you consider context and, mm-hmm. and you know, the entire narrative of the Bible. Um, so I think this is a, obviously a bad usage, but I think people, people when they're in power— and especially with the Bible, because there are these like war narratives, it just lends itself. It's like, oh, this is perfect, because mm-hmm. we can just throw this in front of people's faces and say, this is what it says in the, you know, in the book we base our lives on. So let's go do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess there's also the, I mean, the European reformations, right? Of sure. People usually say European reformation as if there was one. Like there were multiple pockets of reformations in different areas of 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 Europe. Um, and a lot of them led to warfare, outright mm. warfare. So I yeah. guess that's one thing. It's, I mean, it's still a blending of theology, right? But it's yeah. fighting over biblical texts, though, and the sure. theology derived from them. Well, so I guess that's a little bit more connected to, you know, in that, in that respect. Sure. Well, and that's another example of it's annoying where, like, the disagreements, like the theological disagreements, let's say that, like, Luther or Calvin or any of these guys had, it's like it gets co-opted by... Uh, civil political leaders and it's like great i didn't want to be under the pope's thumb anyway it was a perfect re- you know perfect excuse for me to right. you know become independent or whatever now we're yeah. protestant you know <laughs> literally so, that's how the church of england started right <laughs> yeah it's like oh the divorce question <laughs> right right so that's i guess it's it's not an old ta- or no sorry it's not a new tactic um i mean for as long as human like humanity's been gathering in cities and and worshiping gods and you know doing the religion thing like honestly it's only recently that like a religion isn't very specifically or isn't very uh what's the word closely tied to like civil authority you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and even still it still kind of is um like even if you i heard a stat the other day that if you look at the U.S. Congress, 90% of Congress people are Christians. So that's not to say that that's like, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I mean not 90, identify. Yeah. And 90% yeah. of the population aren't Christian, you know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And probably a lot of them are just saying that to get votes or whatever. But still, it's like civil civil leadership is like very much so even now in a place where we say, you know, separation of church and state. It's still like impacts, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even more no, so definitely. back in the day. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's the obviously with the move towards a greater separation between church and state, not in terms of, you know, the state respecting any particular religious establishment, but but just even involvement of, you know, a religious flavor within, you know, politics. Sure. I think um I think that has added to kind of the 
the move away from religion or scripture being used as a basis for military action sure. um, of any kind. You definitely see that a lot more with, um, with you know, centuries past where the state and religion were still very much yes. inter- intertwined. Tied. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and clearly, that was the that was the reason for you know that part of our you know uh, including that in our governance structure in the U.S. Sure. Right. Is because the U.S. came from. I mean, if you think about it, you know, 1700s versus 1500s, it really wasn't that long ago by that point when um, all the European reformations and all the bloodshed was happening. It very much came from less than a couple hundred years. So, yeah, depending on which, you know, which religious war you're talking about within the span of the reformations. Yeah, it could have been very, uh, very close. Sure. Yeah, so that's where, I mean, I think the conquest narratives especially lend themselves to that. But also one, like one that I thought of, I guess, more recently that isn't about conquest narratives is like like the Holocaust, which obviously like the Nazi party had like a lot of the support from Lutheran churches. Um, not all, um, but there's like, there's a ton of pictures of Hitler like hanging out with the clergy of that day and like their, you know, endorsing him um and that was like i mean they used martin luther's like writing obviously about jewish people to do that horrible atrocity um and like i guess the jewish rejection of jesus or whatever which to be fair the early christian movement was entirely jewish so (laughs) it's like obviously they were but uh so i mean that's just another one that Mm -hmm. i feel like we haven't talked about that's like probably the most recent like yeah blatant usage you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i think you're probably right about that trying to think of anything beyond yeah i mean to your point i think there is like some flavor like whenever we do go to war and you know like i don't know or i guess like religious thought which includes the bible like is used more so in like the common discourse about the war Rather right. than like you know a direct justification from our leaders, because yeah. I mean at least in the U.S. it's yeah. not really a thing that we do. Yeah. Well, maybe we can talk about that then, right? Like, because again, I I made a distinction between kind of war and the connection to the Bible on a grand governance scale yeah. versus the individual scale, right? Because sure. the ch- the choice to to enlist in the military a lot of times. There's a theological or, or at least a religious um, reasoning behind that, in addition to maybe other things. Sure. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. I, no, that is interesting. Well, yeah. Well, I do know a lot of the military, people who sign up for the military are in not the greatest socioeconomic, like, situations. Not all, but, like, I think a great majority of them. So that's one thing to think about. But then, yeah... Well, I, I know I've, like, uh, I mean, so I grew up in a church where it's, like, you know, you know, at, at church we're, like, singing, you know, uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic. <laughs> like, we're singing, you know, we're singing these, like, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, like, in our Nationalism versus Patriotism podcast, mm-hmm. which I think is maybe last season or two seasons ago. Yeah. Um, so feel free to listen to that. But, um, 
Yeah, well, like, one scripture I've heard a lot of times is, like, there's no greater love than this than to, like, lay down your life, one's life for their friends or whatever, which is obviously, you know, a connection to Jesus. Um, And even something I learned recently, like, uh, when Jesus raised Lazarus, he had to, like, return back to close to Jerusalem. So essentially by going back and raising Lazarus, he was sacrificing his own life because he knew Mm -hmm. he was getting close to Jerusalem, which is, you know, what he would end up doing for everyone when he mm-hmm. went to the cross. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. Uh, well, it's also interesting that Jesus's way of laying down his life was submitting to the violence and the consequences of the violence and evil. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when that verse is used, it's not about submitting to violence and evil. It's about you know physically fighting a war against you know against it. So it's just right. a distinction worth pointing out. Yeah. No, that's fair. And I think I I feel like in most of those contexts, it's I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but like it's used as a it, it's used as a almost a comfort because of the of the discomfort of enlisting for war. Sure. Right? Like I, there's a undeniable ugliness to what you're signing up to do. But you're. This is one. This is one of the greatest ways to prove love for your fellow man is to lay your life down. Sure. I, I don't know. Sure. So there's, it's just so. It's at the individual level. Yeah. I don't know if it gets any clearer or yeah. any less nuanced. For sure. Know. Well, and that's. What I do want to point to like a tension that I I think I have and maybe other Christians have, because it's obviously like war is like a horrible thing that I want to do my best. And I think we'll talk about this later in later podcasts, but like I want to do my best to stop it from happening and like, you know, be done with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's that like that sentiment towards war and violence. And then there's like kind of where the rubber hits the road of the people who have to do the violence or who, you know what I'm saying? And that's like what mm-hmm. enlisting is, is you now become the person doing the violence. Right. And I think that, I think, I, I just struggle between the, like, I, like, I'm thinking when I go to like ball games or whatever, uh, or like professional sports events, like there's all, there's usually a time where like they bring out uh, either a veteran or an active serviceman or woman. And, uh, and like everyone's pumped and claps and stuff. And and I do think that that's good. It's just a weird situation, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I I think you have suffered and you've suffered on behalf of me and all of these people so that like we don't suffer. But then like, you know, you've also suffered because our government is like trying to posture and like play, make power plays. You know what I'm saying? And that's mm-hmm. obviously like counter to you know, kind of the Bible's ideal vision. So that's where there's this, like, especially around war, there's this tension between, like, honoring the individual who takes part in the violence, which even seems weird coming out of my mouth, Uh, but they have suffered, so that's real, you know what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. Uh, on behalf of, uh, you know, the general civilian population. And then, you know, obviously the kind of, like, the greater powers like the you know the powers and principalities the empires that like push the machine you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. it's just a it's a real tension 
Yeah. No, it is a tension between using the Bible to justify war and then using the Bible to, I don't know, alleviate internal tensions sure. of war. You know what I mean? Sure. Because, I mean, I mean, we talked about it in our previous episode. The, the accounts of warfare in the Bible are so different from the way we engage in war now. Sure. Right? But if we, if we you know, for Christians follow the way of Jesus, his was very much the way of, not the way of the sword. Yeah. Right? The, like what you said, he conquered through submission. Yeah. And when his disciples tried to, to fight yeah. in order to save him, he told them not to. Yeah. That's not the way the kingdom of God was going to be yeah. ushered into, um, into reality. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that. I guess I don't know. It, I just have a real. T- I don't. I don't know what the answer to it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. Well, and well, I know some people don't. Just like like so I'm sure there's some people who join the military and they're like, I'm going to serve my country or whatever. But I know there's a lot of people who go into the military because it's like it's just their best option. You know what I mean? They get sure. there's a lot of benefits, and I mean that that's its own kind of tough because it's like these people don't have options so then like they get ushered into the you know front lines of violence on behalf of their country you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and maybe it pays off yeah. and they get college paid for and they set up a family yeah. but then it's like you know the trauma that they might have went through to right. get there so it, it's two ki- two sides of the same coin right because there's the atrocities that they're that they're ushered into because they have no other options but then there's also the fact that well you no know, the people who do enlist for the you know the purest of motives sure they are sacrificing possibly their lives for it we've you know there's the the not compensation but kind of honoring that through these means so there's that as well yeah right and sure yeah i don't i guess (laughs) you'll we'll have to discern the motives of the people who who came up with that you (laughs) know that program well right right? and kind of ask them sure yeah I mean, I guess we, in summary for this question, it has been used to justify the atrocities of war. Sure. Not only the Bible, but the theology yes. that came from it. And then yeah. beyond that, the theology of the organized religion yes. that, you know, uses it. In various times um, and places. Yeah. 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 It, it I think, like what we said, though, like less, less overt in more modern times, um, but certainly it's yeah, still used. still a factor or still there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, kind of a little bit more hidden. Uh, certainly not in your face like it was. Yes. Um, in more, you know, if we want to say ancient times. Sure. All right. Yeah. Shall we move on? Yeah. A question from the pew. Question two, how has modern technology removed the human element from war? Hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, I mean, maybe you can take a stab at it. Yeah. At kind of addressing this question. Sure. For me, it's a strange paradox, right? Because, I mean, so modern technology has, quote unquote, helped in the fighting of war. Very big quotation marks <laughs> yeah. around helped. Um, for one, it lessens 
civilian casualties in many respects. Sure. Um, or collateral damage. Um, sure. I'm thinking, like, even just compare the, like, how World War II ended in on the on the Pacific Front, on the Pacific Theater, with the dropping of the atomic bombs on two major cities. Yeah, that didn't really Japan. limit limit civilian casualties. Right. And then uh, contrast that to, um, was it the Persian Gulf War, um, where they, sure. were, they were able to strike specific buildings, and those buildings came, you know, crumbling down. Sure. But the other buildings surrounding them stayed up. Sure. So, like, I guess in, in that way, it, it's able to leave civilians, you know, the innocents out sure. of the, the cross, crosshairs. Sure. Um, but still, there's no, there's no denying, right, that the answer to this question, I think, is yes. Yeah. yeah. That it, it has removed the human element from war. Yeah. Well, that's where I feel like, like efficiency at killing and killing the people you're trying to kill has gone up. Yeah. But then, I don't know. I mean, it, it just, obviously, I don't know, I don't know which is better. Like a person sitting behind a computer who doesn't ever see a human face and kills a bunch of humans mm. or like, you know, to be right up close and personal to someone and like, you know, just kill them. <laughs> right, know? right. So yeah. that's where it's like, I don't, I don't really know <laughs> if yeah. there's a better in that situation. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point because that that has been a historical move, just even broad strokes in the history of of human civilization, human warfare, right? You go from hand to hand combat with you know massive yeah. armies, melee to, weapons, yeah, to long range weapons, sure, right? With with the bow, cannons, right. those Crossbow. kinds of um, that kind of um, weaponry, yes. And then you, you get to like modern day warfare where you're able to to shoot yeah. guns miles away, you know, miles away, and then even now with drone warfare, yeah, you're yeah. not even in the same. I mean, I might be wrong, but you don't even have to be in the same country yeah, to engage in warfare. Yeah, um, and you're dealing out um, destruction and violence from a computer screen, literally halfway around the world. Literally, there's a movement from hand to hand to remote, and I, I sometimes. I wonder if that is partially because humans recognize war's ugliness, mm. and historically that move to remote warfare. Yeah, as far away as we can get from it. Yeah, maybe makes it, I don't want to say more palatable sure. to engage in war, but maybe less revolting. Yeah. And so we're... Yeah, because you used to just be on a battlefield with the stench of death everywhere and, right. you know, to, you know. I mean, even, like, as recent as, like, you know... Revolutionary War, 1700s, early 1800s. It's like you went out into a field and you both sat there and looked at each other and slowly reloaded your gun. <laughs> right. And just yeah. shot at each other. Right. Which is yeah, like, I think of like the movie The Patriot. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever you think about that movie or the, yeah. you know, the reason behind that movie, like one of the scenes was like that first battle and there's, here's a spoiler alert, warfare happens in that movie. <laughs> yeah. But it's set in the, in the uh, American War for Independence and the battle is literally taking place in front of this guy of the of the main character's plantation. Yeah, yeah. Like he can literally see it happening. Yeah. And you don't get that now. I mean, no. the, the most modern equivalent, I guess, or the most recent equivalent is what we see in Ukraine. Sure. Right? Yeah. Pe- for civilian sure. populations being 
directly affected sure. by this warfare. But in large part, you don't. I mean, maybe it's the American context that. Or, yeah. But yeah. like, because obviously, see, you know, the yeah. people in the Persian warfare Gulf War where the building here. next to it was falling down. It's like, right. But still, it is different where it's like you know the enemy is here. Which not that we weren't, we did have a presence. I guess that's the thing about America is we kind of have a presence everywhere because we have bases all over the place, um, America or the world's policeman or whatever. But, but yes, like it just was very face to face in fact. Which once again, I don't know. I, I don't know if what's better or worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that somebody can be disconnected. I mean, I'm sure whoever flies those drones and like you know gives the but presses the button to kill people like i'm sure that haunts them you know what i mean i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know how to compare that with somebody who you know back in sword and shield days you know has to kill somebody with a sword i don't i don't know how that compares like yeah. to their physical psyche yeah yeah once well, i just even i don't know how to the, categorize it yeah even beyond the actually seeing the person eye to eye yeah. Like looking at them in the face before you you take their life. Yeah. Like being removed from the elements of war even, I sure. think, makes people Or what do you mean by elements? Kind of uh, kind of like what I was saying with with the with the movie The Patriot. Like the oh, this sure. family saw the horrors of war yeah. played out in front of them. Sure, sure. And we don't get that obviously in the American context, so I right. wonder if that does something to the psyche of yeah, let's go to war, because mm. the it's not the, in our the day to day realities of of what war means isn't yes. isn't in even in the periphery sure. of of our minds. Sure. Yeah. No. I mean that's fair. I mean I guess that's every. I don't know if I want to use the word aggressor, but maybe aggressor. It's just like every like like kingdom or. I don't know what we would call that society that like goes to war elsewhere for its own benefit. Like I, I think it's a problem for all, you know what I'm saying? Like Rome had the same thing as where it's like, they're just Mm -hmm. expanding their borders. Not that the U S is trying to expand its borders necessarily, but it is trying to expand its influence. And that's why we have a presence everywhere. You know what I mean? Um, But yeah, I mean, so yeah, I think that's something that I think that's a trait of all, like powerful like empires that are in power you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah but yeah i i do find it interesting that advances in military technology go hand in hand with making warfare more and more remote yeah i mean sure right it's like That's again like... maybe to make it more you know easy to yeah. fight war in terms of well, like, and the strategically, of it, or, it's like yeah. you don't have to you don't have to physically get people. Right. I mean, think about like D Day in World War Two. We had to physically get all those mm. soldiers, and and like it's like you just have to do it on a beach, and then obviously right. the the enemy's like, well, great, let's just set up here on the beach, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So that's our like strategically, if you can strike from far away, it's like we don't have to work out all the logistics of getting physical boots on the ground. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But so I mean it makes sense, but I mean it's just still horrific at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have too much more to say about that. But yeah, I mean, it yeah, beyond the fact that yeah that there are just so many different paradoxes, kind of that 
go into talking about that question. That's pretty yeah. much all I had uh, for that. It's ugly. It is. I will. I guess I think that's a. If we've said that in every podcast episode in this series so far, it's 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 an ugly topic to talk about. Yeah. But to kind of make sense of it, I don't know if there is any clear cut. Yeah. Um, you know, answers. Well, that's where, like, with this question about questions. the human element in war, I don't. It's just, I guess, what I think war is is like the tearing down of human, the human image and human beings. You know what I mean? So that's where it's mm. like. There almost isn't a human element in war, any war. You know what I mean? Whether it was way back with swords or... I guess, in the like we've said, you can look at the person in the face and you realize they're a human versus now, you know, they're just a pixel on a screen or you don't mm-hmm. even see them. Right. Um, so that is something. But at the end of the day, it's tearing down human life, which is removing the human element from creation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, and what a sad use for technology, mm-hmm. though, right? Like, there's there's something that to be said there theologically, of, you know, if we are to be stewards of creation and exercise dominion over the, you know, what we've been given to steward, then this that's poor stewardship of, you know, in this case, technology or yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I that that might be too big of a topic to to talk about in this episode. Yeah. But it was just something that I'm thinking about. It's like, that especially for Christians who hopefully think theologically about these um, these real world questions, um, that's an inescapable. Um, that's an inescapable question to ask. Like, how does this work out theologically in terms of my role as a steward? Mm. Um, that yeah. part of my identity um, of the image of God, that sort of thing. Mm. Well, maybe that's a nice uh, question to leave our listeners pondering. Mm. Mm. Thanks for listening and joining in on the conversation with us. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Patreon. It's just www.patreon.com slash questions from the pew. And if you can't support us financially, please give us a good rating or review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on. And that helps others find our podcast. Also, please comment and ask questions. You can do that by following and messaging us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also leave us a short voice message or text message at 312-725-2995. If you do leave a voicemail, please keep it under 30 seconds or so and tell us your name and where you're from. We'd like to include your voicemail in our Q&R episodes. But if you prefer for us not to, just let us know and we'll include your question in another way. Uh, and without giving away your information. Same goes for any messages you send us on social media or through text. This has been Questions from the Pew, a podcast in the World Outspoken Network. To learn more about World Outspoken and its mission to prepare the Mestizo Church for cultural change, visit www.worldoutspoken.com. For Questions from the Pew, I'm Riker Zalameda. I'm Lucas Manning. We'll see you next time. <laughs>